invite you to turn to the book of 1 John in your Bibles. 1 John. And if you didn't bring a Bible and you want to use the Pew Bible there in front of you, it's on page 862. Um, this summer we've been walking through the book of 1 John, and, and I've found it in my own life to be a fairly challenging book as I think more and more about what it looks like to love God and to love my neighbor, even, even as I love myself. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about what it looks like to be shaped into the kind of people who want to walk in the ways that God calls us to walk, and some of those things that you and I need to be cognizant of that would shape our hearts and lure us off the path um, if we're not careful. I invite you to listen to 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. We read, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, how are each of you in terms of directions? How are you in terms of getting from point A to point B? Um, I'll admit to you this morning that I am really bad when it comes to directions. When I first moved here to work at the church, Mary and I worked with the students, and so one of the places that we needed to get to fairly often was the high school. And for some reason, Mountain Brook decided to um, hide their high school in a neighborhood. And it was so funny, we were, we were living in the yellow house, and parents would come, and, and different ones would take us to the high school. It was like, you got to know how to get to the high school. But it seemed like everyone would take me a different way. But there is no one way. I did not have a smartphone at this point, okay? And so I remember going over and back and thinking, how in the world will I ever get to the high school and back? One night it was so bad that I was coming back. I, had, I remember it pretty vividly. I was having um, a blizzard at Dairy Queen with a, a high school student. And I started my way back, and I got in what is an infinite loop that I could not get out of. I kid you not. It was like, I, I don't know if it's Spring Valley, but it's like court, drive, terrace, court, drive, terrace. And like every house looked pretty much the same. And I had to stop, pull out my old dumb phone, and call the house. And fortunately, Meredith Kell was there, and she talked me out of there. But like before that, I don't know what I would have done. Maybe I just knocked on the door and said, can I come in for the night? Because I have no idea where I am. Like I'm the last guy you want to follow when it comes to direction. You know, on the way to church this morning, I was asking um, Webb, I was like, who do you think's better at directions, mom or me? And he was like, probably mom. I was like, 100%. And here's the thing, I'm, I'm really bad when I think I kind of know. Like when I think I kind of know how to get there and I really rely on my own wisdom to get from point A to point B, that's where disaster happens the most. We were coming back from a, a road trip one time and I wanted to see this covered bridge and so we saw the covered bridge. And then after that I thought, I think I can do it. We're just going to feel our way back. I think I can do this. And unfortunately the kids were asleep in the back seat and one of the things I like to do more than anything is ride around listening to music my favorite thing to do and but I had 
a couple hours that afternoon to drive around and listen to music, and I ended up in Hayden from where I was. It wasn't my intent. So anyways, I'm the last person that you want to follow when it comes to directions. And generally speaking, if it's getting lost, it's not that big of a deal. And I know that I don't know, I'm way more likely to depend on theory to get me from point A to point B. And when I acknowledge that I'm ignorant and I follow the path that Syria leads out for me, usually I make it there um, efficiently. Now, it doesn't, again, really matter that much in terms of me getting from point A to point B. I guess unless if I was going to a wedding and I got there late for your wedding, and perhaps that would be a problem. But there's a bigger idea, I think, in Scripture that, that God calls us to live in a certain way, and He intends to direct us from point A to point B, And it really does matter if we yield ourselves to God's plans and purposes in our life. This idea that here is the path, here is the way, walk in it. And there's this phrase in Scripture, it's like, don't turn to the what? Don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left, stay on the path that I've charted out for you. And really, it's in those moments where you and I think, okay, Wonderful suggestion, Lord. However, in this moment, I think that's not the path that I should go. In fact, the path of faithfulness looks somewhat like death. (laughs) I think I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to veer to the right or to the left. And in those seasons where perhaps you've done that, or there are people that you know in your life who've done that, we know that there's more serious consequences to that. And so I want to talk just a little bit this morning about the idea of us allowing God to shape our hearts and our minds, to direct where it is that we should go in life, and how we place our trust in Him and not in ourselves, that ultimately He's going to lead us to where we should be. Now in the book of 1 John so far, we've kind of covered some territory where John starts out and he talks about the fact that Jesus came in the flesh. And that in the past, God revealed himself, drawn from Hebrews here, through the law, through the prophets, but most fully, he manifested himself to us in the person of Jesus. So for you and I, if we say, what's God like? Our best approach to answering that question is to look at who God has revealed himself to be in the person of Jesus. And then John starts talking about, if we are going to be faithful people, we need to walk in the light, and from time to time, you and I are going to sin. Quick poll, how many of you have ever sinned? And there's just so much joy and, like, comfort in that. Like looking around the sanctuary and, like, everybody falls into that group. But if we've sinned, we also know that he's faithful and just to forgive us. If we confess our sins, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And just like we share in that idea that we've sinned, we also share in the truth that in Christ we've all been reconciled to the Father. But that's where our hope is. And then John started talking about loving other people. And I got to tell you, this is the harder part for me. Loving God seems easier to me than loving people. Do you agree? Yeah, it's that social test of my love for God that then starts saying, don't just love people in general either, but like love the specific people that God puts before you. Usually it requires me to go out of my way or to be patient in those moments where I don't feel like it, being kind. And so he says, this is part of loving God, loving the people that God puts in front of you. And I think when we get to 15 through 17, 
he's talking a little bit about what it is that causes us so much trouble in this pursuit of staying on the path of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Now, in verse 15, it, we have to clarify what we're talking about when we're talking about the world. Listen again to what John says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, why does that cause us pause at first? There's one verse that everybody, even if you didn't grow up in church, it's if you watch football, you watch NFL, and you notice the signs behind the goalposts. John 3.16, it says, for God, so what? Love the world. So when you get to 1 John chapter 2, and it says, do not love the world, it's, it's normal that we would say, what is John talking about? And so John is not talking about not loving people in the world that God's created. What John's talking about is that there are these two systems up and running in the world that you and I inhabit. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, everything has now been fractured. So that our relationship with God is not what it ought to be in our fallen nature. Our relationship with other people is not what it ought to be. And there are these norms and values of the fallen world that shape our hearts and our minds. So that you and I are constantly being shaped by something, okay? And there are these systems of the world that are different from the norms and the values of the kingdom of God. For example, Jesus calls us to pray for and love whom? Our enemies. And kind of the norms and the values of the world would say, defeat your enemies. Overcome them. Don't love them and pray for them. And there's all these ways in which you and I are already citizens of the kingdom of God, but we live in a world that's not yet fully as God intends for it to be. So you may think of it as these two circles. There's the circle of the kingdom of God that's already come in Christ, but not yet fully. And there's the circle of the fallen world. And you and I find ourselves kind of trapped in the middle a bit. And there's part of God's kingdom and values that are already up and running for us, but there's also this norms and values of the world that's also up and running, and you and I sometimes feel pulled between the two. And so John is saying that you're different now. And so you don't love the world in the sense that you don't love the same things that you used to love before you came to faith in Christ. And that you and I have to Allow our hearts and our minds to be shaped by who Jesus is and who he calls us to be more than we allow ourselves to be shaped by the things of this earth. Now, what are those things specifically? Well, John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Listen to what he says. For everything in the world, and then hyphen, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. So these verses, this one verse here, lists three things that, <clears throat> that shapes us if we're not careful. The cravings of our flesh or the cravings of sinful man, 
the lust of our eyes and the boasting of who we are and what we have done. Now, these things are up and running, I think, for, for each and every one of us. That we're born with these certain desires, and these certain fallen desires that we have. And when he says desires there, or cravings, it's either the longing for things that we shouldn't want, or it's inordinate longing for things that in and of themselves are good. And so it's easy for us sometimes to put things into those two categories. Like if I ask you what fleshly desires you should not pursue that are bad, it's probably, we're probably going to be on the same page. Do you agree? We could list some of those things. And then an inordinate love for things that in and of themselves are not bad. Um, is money good or bad? Yeah, you're like, it's tricky, <laughs> right? And the Bible's, the Bible's up front about that. Like, in and of itself, is food good or bad? I mean, <laughs> you know, that, that in its proper place, like, that's a not necessarily good or bad thing. But it's when you and I have inordinate longings or cravings for those things that they can then become bad things. And so, so John is writing to say, these things have a way, if we're not careful, of shaping our heart. And then there's that last one. The pride of who we are and what we have done. How many of you would like for people to be proud of you? Like it's just part of human nature. And sometimes we see it in kids more. Like it's easier to see it in kids. Like imagine if a kid won a baseball tournament yesterday and got like a big ring or a medal. Like they would have no trouble wearing it to church. Right? Like, boom. Check that thing out. What did you do yesterday? Oh, we won a tournament. Now if Mike Vaughn walked in with his ring, we'd all think that's a little bit strange. You should be already past that, right? But that same thing that's operating in a kid's heart also operates in our heart. And we're prone to pursue things, not just for the things themselves, but also for the stature and the reputation that they bring to us. And so all of these things, these fleshly desires that we have, the lust of the eyes, and I think that can be physical, and I think that can also be that I'm just riding around and I think, wow, I didn't know that I wanted a new 2022 Ford F-150, but now maybe I do. Right? And then the pride of what I, who I am and what I've done, those things often conspire against us such that then when we're on the path that God's called us to walk, we know this is who we should be and we know this is what we should do. But as we're walking through life, those things, if we're not careful, shape our hearts so much that then they shape our actions and we veer off the path in pursuit of those things. And we veer off the path in pursuit of those things, ultimately because we think they're going to satisfy the desires of our hearts. How many of you know of someone, or just think about this, no raising of hands, please, know of someone, or you are someone, where in that moment you've had those options, and it seemed like that was going to satisfy the desires of your heart, whatever it was that was outside of God's will for you. I mean, we could take all kinds of famous people 
even famous preachers. And we think, how in that moment did he or she do that thing? How in the moment did that person pursue unfaithfulness of their spouse or steal money for the corporation or steal money from the offering plate? Like, how did they in that moment make that decision to do that thing when every rational person would step back and say that's the most foolish thing you could ever do? And I think the answer is that in that moment, there was nothing rational happening in that person's mind or heart. That at our core, we're not really rational people. Not really. We would like to think that we are. We would like to think that if we could just know the right things and all the consequences, then we would step back and we would make kind of a cost-benefit analysis and we would always choose the right path. But you and I are motivated as much by our heart and our emotions and our vision of what it means to live the good life as we are rational truth. For example, say I was um, a young kid, and, or let's say today, I said to you, I'm going to go try out for the NFL. Do you think rationally that's going to work out well for me? I wouldn't even try out for Mount Brook High School football team at this point in my life. Like, I see those guys, and it wouldn't work out well for me. But there could be this thought in my mind that, well, maybe I could, maybe I could do it. Maybe with enough training. Maybe with enough, like, I could live into this vision. And I remember talking to someone one time about um, sports and pursuing that as, like, your career. And they said, if you want to know what your chances are of being a Major League Baseball player, count all the Major League Baseball players in your family. I was like, oh. Maybe I don't have a good shot at that. Zero, right? But we make decisions and we pursue things with our hearts and our minds and our lives, not just based off of rational choices, but off of our emotions and our hearts and our desires. And every day that you live and move and have your being in this world, you are being shaped by something. You're being shaped by the things that you watch, the things that you listen to. You're being shaped by the lives of other people around you. And so your heart and your love that then dictates how you live and how you act in the world starts being shaped more and more. And what I think John is saying to us through his word today is that you and I ought to be really, really careful about what it is that we allow to shape our deep desires for what we're pursuing in life. Because we get to a point, if we're not careful, that when our hearts and our minds have been so shaped by these other things, the world, that it really is impossible for us to live into God's call upon our life. Look at what he says at the end in verse 17 there. The world and its desires pass away, but the man or the person who does the will of God, lives forever. If you look around the sanctuary this morning, you want to know one thing that's really humbling? A hundred years from now, all new people. Think about that. A hundred years from now, all new people. Two hundred years from now, 
think about in my own family, like how many people are going to remember that I even lived? In my family, like the people that love me the most, right? But in the moment, I can live for these things that are so transitory, these things that are so here today and going tomorrow. But if I'm not careful, I'll make shipwreck of my life pursuing something that ultimately will not satisfy and definitely will not last for all of eternity. John's calling us to step back and look at our lives and say, what is it that's most fundamentally shaping you? And to live the life of faith and to say, you know what I'm going to do? I really am going to try with God's help and the power of his spirit to live my life in the fear of the Lord. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 would say, to lean not on my own understanding and all my ways acknowledge him. And then, and then trust that the path of faithfulness before me is ultimately going to be more satisfying than everything else that's off the path. And that's one of, one of the reasons that I worry about people is that I think sometimes people think about Christian discipleship as just kind of this, this would be fun and neat, and maybe I should do that if I really want to be an awesome, like, next-level Christian. You're like, should I read my Bible today? Well, I mean, maybe, maybe not. Does it really matter? I'm already saved and going to heaven, <laughs> right? There's this idea that you can think about life and discipleship or for us to think about it as if, I told the first service, I said, as if we're going to call St. Luke's in Canterbury and say, send down your best Bible people. We know way more Bible than you all do. Like, what a waste of time. But that as we're growing in our faith, as we're seeking to know the Lord, we're doing it and we're living into this dependence on God and his word because we know ourselves too well. And that we know apart from God's word and apart from his spirit, you and I will choose to go off the path. And there's this humble aspect of living in God's call in our life where we say, Lord, I want you to shape my heart and my desires. I want you, by the power of your spirit and your word and the communion of other people that you've called me into relationship with, to help me chart the course in life so that when I do get to the end of my life, I've lived for things that will matter far beyond me. And if nobody remembers who I was or where I lived or what I accumulated or my job or my title or how great I was, that I invested my life in things for your kingdom. And ultimately, those things will matter and those things will last. I invite you to pray with me. Father, thank you for being so gracious to us. That time and time again you come after us and you, you've given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. But Lord, we confess that so often we, we think we've got it in our own power and we think we know how to get from here to there. But Lord, I pray that you'd make us skeptical of our own selves. And that you would make us dependent upon your word and that you would, that you and your people and Christ would shape our hearts more than anything else shapes our hearts. That we might faithfully walk into that path that you've called us to walk. And that you would give us such a vision 
of the joy and the beauty of the life of faith, that we would choose that over everything else. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.